It's three months since prisons nationwide went smoke-free. This Radio New Zealand Insight goes behind bars to see how inmates and guards are coping. Thank you. Do any of you have cell phones, cigarette slices on you? No. Thank you. This is Arohata Prison in the Wellington suburb of Tawa. Today's grey-coloured sky matches the tall razor-wire fencing at the prison, which was built in 1944 as a women's borstal. But now, like every other jail in the country, smoking is off-limits for the 132 women here, who range from minimum to high security. What's in your bag? Uh, this is my recorder. Do you want to have a look? Okay. Thank you. The serenity prayer isn't perhaps the first thing you expect to hear upon entering a jail, especially one where the inmates have recently been forced to give up smoking. I'm Tim Graham, and in this Radio New Zealand Insight, I gauged the mood in jails since all tobacco was banned. About two-thirds of New Zealand's 8,500 inmates smoked. Was it fair to deprive them of that right? Despite a 12-month lead-in on the changeover day, Senior Corrections Officer Sue Davidson was battling a fear of the unknown. We were very nervous. We were um, you know, just waiting for something to happen. We'd had all these rumours, especially from you know, all around New Zealand. I think we were all on tenderhooks and on standby, just waiting for something to happen. We were expecting a lot more trouble, especially from the forensic prisoners, who um, those people with mental health issues, you know, 20% of prisoners have mental health issues, and it was almost a tool that was used um, to help these prisoners cope with uh, stress. Fiona Mackay is the health manager for both Arohata and Mount Crawford prisons. It's been a challenge to come up with ways to cope with the changeover. Everybody was kind of like, oh my gosh, here it comes. But we knew who the ones were that were not going to give up till the last minute. And we, myself and the unit managers, were very keen to say to them, we're here for you, we're here for you, we're here for you. And we just kept doing that for them and also focusing on those positives. More gym equipment, there was popcorn on the units. We tried to put out crosswords and um, games and prisoners were coming up with ideas for themselves about how they could keep themselves busy. A principal corrections officer, Sue Neda, says the smoke-free policy is one of the biggest changes she's dealt with in two decades working at Arohata. As a smoker, she even contemplated resigning, but instead chose to kick her habit in February. We were um, unsure about how it was, was going to happen. There were a lot of worried people. I mean, especially smokers, staff, I'm talking about the staff, especially smokers, myself included. Um, I was wondering how it would affect me. Prison management, though, recalled day one as nothing special. Arohata's acting manager, Tonu Taipa, says nerves were to be expected. However, he describes the overall prison atmosphere on July the 1st as positive. It was very, very good. You know, we had had intel that we may have some issues here, that our ladies in the wings, one or two of the wings, we're going to prop in some way, play up, but in actual fact they didn't. 
The manager of Rimutaka Prison in Upper Hutt, Richard Simons, echoes that sentiment. We put a lot of effort into not making it a special day. I think Thursday was the last day. I think Friday might have been the first day of the ban. And so uh, the last thing we wanted to do was stomp round and um, antagonise people. Further north, Hawke's Bay Regional Prison was already on alert after two protests by inmates in June, including one from the rooftop. The Corrections Department says the incidents were not linked to the smoking ban, but the president of the main prison guards union, the Corrections Association, Bevan Hanlon, believes they were. He'd gone as far as warning emergency services about the possibility of prison riots come July. We didn't have any prisons burned to the ground. We gave some information on some plans to do that sort of thing, and we, we acted on it and stopped it. It was a week or two before the ban started. There was a, a plan for concerted disorder at Hawke's Bay Prison, um, i.e. a really large riot, uh, which staff got on top of and management supported the information that was given, and, and we made sure it didn't happen. And they, they were planning to set fire to the prison. They were planning to have two or 300 high-security prisoners out through the roof, setting fire to things, taking staff hostage, smashing the place to bits, all of those sorts of things as a protest to smoking. At Arohata, inmates are not just housed in cells, but also in self-care units, which are similar to a flatting arrangement. This prisoner, who we'll call Sarah, had her last puff on the night of March the 31st. She was in Arohata's drug treatment unit, which was the first to go smoke-free as the ban was phased in. For a start, the 45-year-old wasn't happy about having to quit. For me, myself, when I first heard about it, which was like a year prior, we had a year to give up, I didn't like it, and, and I'm sure, and initially there was probably bitterness and anger and, you know, a bit of the <laughs> kind of thing, but um, probably some people even wanted to fight it and thought about writing to ombudsmen and, and, and things like that. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, fighting the system, you're fighting a losing battle. I mean, the policy's been made and... You might as well just take it on the chin and give it up. What's the worst that can happen? The prison health manager, Fiona Mackay, says there were less than a dozen inmates at Arohata who proved to be particularly stubborn about giving up. I think they were pretty hardcore in the fact that, you know, they understood they had to do it and that was fine, um, but I'm going to set the boundaries, I'm going to wait till the last minute. We didn't keep pressuring them because that obviously wasn't going to help and that was only going to get people annoyed, as it does. So a lot of people went pretty much cold turkey, nah, we can do this, and um, some people were, no, I need everything you can possibly throw at me, so we did that as well. From the outset last year, Corrections maintained its ban would work because of the 12-month preparation campaign. Since July, it's reported a smooth transition from 67% of the prison population smoking to zero. So were violent flare-ups ever a realistic threat? A Rimutaka guard, Steve Richards, says yes. It was a real fear, absolutely, because uh, we're dealing with the unknown. Anything that's unknown, you can have a perceived fear about it, but... They, they, they were genuine in what they thought may happen, but with the rollover, the introduction to it, the lead-in, all the propaganda, the new policy, the notices, talking to prisoners, it went over so smoothly, which it was a surprising uh, feat. This Rimutaka inmate, Mark, who's earned privileges and is getting closer to release, says it wasn't worth his while to play up. I mean, this is where you're almost out of jail, this is where you're kind of addressing your offending and that, so... Um I mean, really, it would be a silly move to um, kick up a stink over a, what, a cigarette in this unit. You've got a lot of privileges here. 
basically could get taken off us if we were to kick up a stink over cigarettes. So accept it, move on, work with what you've got, appreciate what you can have. Arohata's principal corrections officer, Sue Neda, feared a different kind of consequence. I anticipated that we were going to have all sorts of trouble. I anticipated um, uh, an increase in suicide or self-harm, but none of that has really happened. In fact, the prisoners have accepted it very well. We're always going to have the old ones who are going to um, try to smuggle in smokes or contraband, but that goes like anything else. One reason for the ban's introduction was to avoid possible lawsuits from non-smoking staff and inmates who object to second-hand smoke. Bevan Hanlon from the Corrections Association says the stench in cells was unbearable. Walking into cells absolutely stunk. Um, as you can imagine, they sit there locked in their cell from about 4.30 in the afternoon till uh, just after 8 in the morning, and they just smoke, smoke and smoke and smoke, and everything reeks of it. So the rooms really did stink. That smell, the prison smell, is still around. Unfortunately, the problem now is that it's being replaced more with the body odour smell, um, and so I guess the one good thing is we're, we're making them shower a little more regularly. As part of the scheme to help inmates give up, Corrections provided carrot sticks as a healthy snack and to give prisoners something to hold in their hands. But Insight has also been told of a blowout in orders of biscuits, chocolate and chippies for prisons in Auckland in particular. It's also understood some prisoners in the Wellington region have been venting their anger about weight gain. But from a health perspective, Arohata's Fiona Mackay says the ban is already bearing fruit. We have an asthma team that come in. Our referrals have dropped off greatly for that because a lot of our asthmatics also smoked. Uh, we haven't seen that many uh, colds and flus and stuff around from our smokers. We haven't kept stats on exactly their health needs versus the non-smokers. We're seeing a little bit of weight gain, but that kind of evens out, and we're offsetting that with exercise, so the girls are getting yoga and pilates and that going on. Rimutaka Prison says the ban has led to a reduction in threatening behaviour between prisoners in order to demand cigarettes. The manager, Richard Simons, says there are now fewer assaults, although he's unable to provide exact figures. He says there are also fewer fires being lit by prisoners. Our uh, arson figures have dropped from, I think, 18 in June to something like 4 in July and 0 for August. So... You know, fires can be hugely dangerous, especially, you know, foam mattresses and things like that, and staff required to go in and, um, and assist a prisoner and get them out of cells can be hugely dangerous to staff. So uh, I think it, it's a real plus on the staff safety and prisoner safety. Prisoners like Sarah in Arohata are also finding themselves with more disposable income. We don't actually earn a lot of money in the DTU, I earn about $14 a week which sort of went towards buying cigarettes. But now, for the first time in, in the two and a half years that I've been in prison, I actually have money in my account. Well, I just spend it on what I need to spend it on now, phone cards to keep in contact with my family, um, moisturiser, shampoo, packet of biscuits. Yeah. Letters sent to the Corrections Department reveal an array of public opinions about how to get prisoners to quit. These include an offer of hypnotherapy, which was rejected as too expensive, and calls for inmates to be given time on PlayStations to offset their frustration. But the ideas pale in comparison to prisoners' attempts to circumvent the ban, as Senior Corrections Officer Sue Davidson explains. I know that some of them have kind of tried to 
hide cigarettes or smuggle cigarettes in or they're smoking tea leaves or they're rolling up their patches and trying to smoke them. They're trying to find cutting up banana skins and drying them and, and smoking them. So they're trying to find other ways of smoking. So it's um, been quite difficult for some of them to give up and so they're still looking at um, smoking other things. But as we slowly get the lighters, that becomes more and more difficult for them. I do understand they're finding more ingenious ways of lighting things, like using the toaster and the wings and you know other things. But uh, the staff are pretty vigilant around here, so we're just um, watching as things come up and dealing with them as they come up. The union says some prisoners have even resorted to using the pages from the Bible as cigarette papers. Within the past few weeks, mail sorters at Christchurch Women's Prison found an unusually heavy pair of slippers with a strange odour. On unpicking the hand-stitched lining, the staff found 50 grams of tobacco concealed in each slipper. Sue Davidson at Arohata has also foiled a smuggling attempt. A little while ago, a woman was coming in from working in the grounds and uh, we had a bit of a tip-off and I was going to get her strip searched as she came in but she ran off from me. I managed to run after her and by the time I caught up with her she dumped all the cigarettes into the sanitary bin in the toilet but we, I got a lot of um, tailor-maids and a wad of tobacco out of that one so we were all pretty happy about that because I don't know how much she would have sold those for in the prison because I do understand that tobacco has skyrocketed in price since the banning. I can't believe it, but I heard $800 for a 30 gram, but I, I, I find that hard to believe, but um, who knows if you're desperate what you'll pay. Reports vary wildly about the price tobacco now fetches on the black market in prison. In the first two months of the ban, 350 tobacco items were found or smuggled in, and 30 prisoners have been caught smoking. Rimu Tucker's acting principal corrections officer, Steve Richards, says there's now very little tobacco about. If there's any around, it'd be very minimal. You know, we do smell the odd bit every now and then, but it's you strip search a prisoner, you know, under reasonable grounds, you set, empty their cell, you strip it down, and you don't find it. You might find a lighter, but you don't find any tobacco, so you could probably charge $10 a cigarette, $20 a cigarette. If they had a 30 gram pouch or 50 gram pouch, it'd be costing hundreds of dollars. Hundreds of dollars. I would say there'd be, if there's any tobacco in the prison, there'd be very, very, very minimal. They'll smoke it in their cells, they're pretty dumb. Uh, they'll smoke it in their cells, we go past, we can smell it. By the time we get in there, it's flushed, it's gone, they've swallowed it, it's... never find it. Prison security rules prevented some of the usual quit-smoking tools from being used. Nicotine gum was out because it can be jammed into the locks of cell doors and supportive quitline text messages were a no-go as cell phones aren't allowed in jails. But inmates could queue to call quitline's free phone number and prison libraries stocked multiple copies of a self-help book. About 6,000 prisoners have taken up free nicotine replacement patches which are still available as are lozenges. A senior corrections officer, Sue Davidson, says some of her charges at Arohata have gone too far. I'd say some of them are maybe addicted to the lozenges and the patches and we've had a few people overpatch themselves and be vomiting and diarrhoea or they seem to be going through lozenges like they were peppermints. The Health Ministry's figures show that supplying prisons with nicotine replacement therapy cost $101,000 in the year to June 2010. That expense skyrocketed to nearly a million in the 12 months to June this year. 
The quit line recommends those trying to quit use one patch per day for about three months. But the Corrections Association's Bevan Hanlon fears that inmates are now going large on patches and lozenges as a substitute for cigarettes. There's nicotine patches for Africa within the prison system. You see them with two patches, uh, three patches, they're, they're really going for it. Lozenges, patches, you name it, they've got it. We have them in the control rooms by the box full, and I mean big box full. If a prisoner asks for them, we give them to them. That's, that's the way the policy works. We had one guy, oh, I can't remember the number now, but I'm sure it was close to 20 um, during a game of rugby. Apparently that's not good for you, that'll put you in hospital, and he spent three days in hospital after taking that many lozenges. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Um, we're currently in the guard room of our special treatment unit, a large number of cameras, and then the security screens, so we're just looking at monitors. It's all external areas and in work areas. Nowhere to hide. You're... Uh smoking habits these days? The, uh, no, no smoking habits. We don't have to worry about hiding. There, there is no smoking. <laughs> Officials did consider allowing prisoners to smoke outside, but it was later decided that nothing less than a full ban would work. Inside Rimu Tucker's 30-man violence prevention unit, James was one of just five non-smokers. Despite that, he says it was wrong of officialdom to kill off a habit that his mates enjoyed. Wasn't the choice to give up? Fellas do smoke and yeah, they call the wrong call there, stopping the fellas from having those cigarettes. It's just stop them from playing up, keeps them relaxed. You know, been tough on fellas who smoke, getting all these patches and all that stuff to stop them from getting the urge. And I can imagine how hard they've been doing it. Another from the unit, Mark, began smoking at the age of 11. After almost a decade in prison, the 28-year-old says he smoked for a satisfying quick fix and should have the right to choose. I smoked all my um, smokes for out here. After the ban had come in, I still had a few smokes, so didn't quit till they'd gone. So, yeah. oh, I think it sort of sucks, mate. It's like we're paying for it. It's not like the government's paying for our habit and that. We're paying for it and that. So, and, you know, you should be allowed to buy smokes if you want to buy smokes, you know. I don't see how it um, affects people in jail and that. And if anything, we could have just had our own area to smoke in, so why take it off us for good sort of thing? Eh? Why not just give us an area to smoke it in? Official correspondence about the ban shows some prisoners wrote to the Corrections Minister, Judith Collins, asking her to reconsider. One letter spells out in large handwriting that Ms Collins' job is to minimise the differences between prison life and life at liberty. But Sarah from Arohata's self-care unit believes there's no point in railing against the change. Fighting the system, particularly about rules and, and whatnot, is, is really there's no point. The system will win every every time. You know, there's been people in here before us that have fought for this and that and the other. I mean, we have entitlements, minimum entitlements, and that's all we're entitled to. And I mean, if you want to fight for anything extra, you just pick your battles, but really it's, it's a losing battle. Office workers here in Wellington are nipping out for a quick smoke as the workday gets underway. The former prison manager turned author and researcher Celia Lashley is here with me. These office workers uh, have a choice that prisoners now don't. Yeah, it's true, they do. And I, I find it interesting that it's OK to take that choice away from people. That somehow the fact that you go to prison gives the state an inroad into your life that wouldn't normally otherwise be the case. And there's no 
link between smoking and offending, and yet they go to prison because they've committed an offence. So to then say, we're going to make the choice for you. For me, my sense is there are a tremendous number of people in prison who are disempowered. Uh, they come to prison out of a sense of disempowerment, and we're adding to that. And the workers that will come here today will pop in and out. Their workplace will accommodate the fact that they take a 10-minute smoke break. And, and how is it that people in prison don't have the same luxury, make the same choice about their health? Celia Lashley spent three and a half years at the helm of Christchurch Women's Prison in the 1990s. She says she's completely against the smoking ban. You see, the thing that makes me maddest of all is that this is upper middle class determining the well-being of the lower classes. So we all have our addictions, and yet we're sanctimonious enough to say that those that come to prison aren't allowed an addiction, and that we're going to be good for them in a paternalistic way and get them off that. It's just so, you know, it's just so wrong in terms of the arrogance of those who have coming in and slamming again those who have not. Celia Lashley says those who study criminology learn that people go to prison as punishment, not for punishment. And she says some media stories about the ban have painted a false picture. I loved a piece where the reporter went to the Auckland Women's Prison and we had a room where there were women exercising and, oh, it's such a lovely image, you know, that these women have turned away from a life of this difficult stuff and they're doing nice things. They would have been specially picked and they will have been staging an exercise session. Oh, it's true, there might be the occasional exercise session, but when you add in the increased lock-up hours, the limiting of staff... It doesn't match in my prison officer head that there are regularly exercise sessions for the majority of inmates in prisons in New Zealand. It just can't work that way. Corrections would have us believe that prisons are these lovely places that support people making active decisions about their lives. And it's just not... Actually, in my mind, it's physically not possible. Celia Lashley believes a partial ban would have been better, limiting prisoners to smoking, say, twice a day in a designated zone. Critics haven't had to look further than Queensland for evidence of a prison smoking ban turning sour. The Woodford Prison, an hour north of Brisbane, became a volatile issue even before it was built. The match that lit the flame of last night's riot was struck in August last year when the state's Correctional Services Commission announced it would be banning smoking at its newest air-conditioned showpiece. Violence erupted with up to 150 prisoners running riot in two jail blocks. Inmates at the Woodford Correctional Facility went feral within a month of the jail opening in April 1997. An inquiry later found that the smoking ban at the prison was partly to blame. Professor Tony Butler leads the Justice Health Research Program at the University of New South Wales. He says bringing smoking bans into jails is a complex move and policymakers should tread carefully. The major pitfalls seem to be a little bit of work that came out of the US that suggested that 97% of people um, subjected to a ban continued smoking on the outside. That, that, I guess that was the major consequence from the prevention point of view. And, and I suppose the other major consequence is that you do establish a, a black economy in tobacco and all the consequences that go along with that. You know, we've done research that showed that tobacco is used for absolutely everything as a currency so you can gamble with it. You know, it's used to socialise, you can buy clothes with it, etc. And, and there's even the odd anecdotal sort of report of people trading sex for tobacco as well. Tony Butler convened a national summit last year on tobacco smoking in prisons to try to get some unity in policy across the Australian states. He says New Zealand's national foray into tobacco prohibition in jails is a bit of a rarity. Given that and the dearth of research about such bans, 
Tony Butler says prison authorities worldwide are watching how New Zealand's experiment unfolds. I think there's a wait-and-see approach, and I think a lot of people are very interested in the New Zealand experience. Um, but I think the one thing I would say to the, the people who are implementing this, please uh, do the research, demonstrate to the world that this works or it, it doesn't work. You know, let's uh, see what happens, what are the consequences of the smoking ban, and then and, and then there's evidence there for perpetuity r- rather than um, a policy that's been implemented in the absence of any evidence. So, you know, you've got a great opportunity to do that. So I guess don't waste it. Some are already picking up on Tony Butler's challenge. I'm Dr Mariwa Glover, I'm the director of the Centre for Tobacco Control Research at the School of Population Health, University of Auckland. So we're here in Courtney Place, downtown Wellington, a fair few smokers out tonight. Fairly different now to what you'd get in prison. That's right, although I understand that some people are still managing to smuggle in or get people to bring tobacco into them and sneaking cigarettes I suppose like we used to at school in the toilets or something. Dr Glover and her team are concerned that once prisoners leave they might not be able to hold off their nicotine urge in challenging situations like a night on the town. The researchers have written an article for the New Zealand Medical Journal about maximising the health gains of the prison smoking ban. It concludes that corrections efforts fall short of recommended levels of comprehensive cessation support. Dr Glover says because the ban was forced onto prisoners, it may have the unintended consequence of stealing their resolve to resume smoking once they're free. I'd really like to do some research looking at what happens to a smoker's identity when they're in this situation. I think we've got great opportunity here in New Zealand to look at. It's kind of like a social experiment. Maybe they associate smoking with freedom, along with a a number of other behaviours that they will go back to. Back inside Rimu Tucker's violence prevention unit, Mark seems resigned to the fact he won't be smoking again. I probably won't be around by the time I get out. All 100 bucks a packet, so it'd be a waste of time. Little little laggers and things like that, yeah, they'll get out and probably get back into it and... I mean, you get back out into it, eh? So everyone's still smoking out there. It's just, yeah, whether you can handle being around that or not, yeah. The prison manager, Richard Simons, concedes there's little to stop a prisoner resuming smoking on the outside. No, absolutely nothing. But I would say that those that have given up, uh, quite a few of them have actually thanked us and said that they just haven't had the strength of character to do it themselves. But this ban's actually helped them. But how do we stop somebody? We, we can't. We can't control what somebody does once they get released. But we can certainly create an environment here where they shouldn't have a need to start smoking again. The Corrections Association's Bevan Hanlon believes there's a strong risk of prisoners resuming their smoking habit. It's the pit full of prisons. That's classic for prisons left, right and centre. So it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's smoking, whether it's giving up drugs, whether it's whatever their issue might be, the problem with the system is that we do all this work for them in the prison and then we put them back into the community they came from with all the mates that they had and all the bad influence they had and expect them to do something different. The Corrections Department has commissioned an independent evaluation of its smoke-free policy, which is expected by April next year. I'm Tim Graham and that's Insight for this week. The programme was written and presented by me, Tim Graham. It was produced by Philip Atolli. Technical production was by Chris Adams. If you have any comments or queries, we'd love to hear from you via email on insight at radionz.co.nz 
or on Twitter at rnz underscore insight.